but he's been now talking through with them why their anger, on the one hand, they were angry. They said he was saying that he was equal with God. Jesus wanted them to know that their anger was wrong, but their, their, their assumption was correct. He was saying that he is equal with God, and we've been working through how he's just been laying that out so clearly um, in many verses. And if you might remember last week, he calls four witnesses. They've, they have brought him, they've judged him, they've deemed him worthy of death, they're trying to kill him. And so he says, well, if, if we're going to do this right, yes, my testimony, I've, I've told you, according to the law, you need, if you're going to put someone to death, you need at least two witnesses. Let me call some witnesses in my favor. And he gives us four strong witnesses. But now he's going to turn the tables, having given this, this amazing argument that in fact he is God, that he is the one who has promised to come. He's not going to turn the tables because remember, he's told us that all judgment has been given into his hands. And he's going to, you could say, set up court here, but not to be angry, not to put these men down. But in fact, as he's been saying, I say these things so that you can have life. I say these things so that you can know the truth. He's continuing to invite them into real life even as he is showing that they're, they're wrong, that their assumptions are faulty, that their hearts are not in the right place. And so he's going to, to finish that up here in these last verses of chapter 5. And, of course, his heart hasn't changed. He still wants them, and I believe, and others who are listening to have a change of heart to come to him by faith. At verses 41 through 47, it says of John 5, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have put your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He starts off by helping them to understand he's not thinking like they're thinking. He says, I don't seek, I don't seek glory from men. I don't receive glory from men. See, he's not interested in whether they approve of him or whether they say good things about him. They should do that. That would be the right thing. But that's not his focus. That's not his motivation. Jesus' focus is completely, as he said again and again, is on doing his Father's will. And doing that being completely involved in what the Father wants and in the, in the plan that he and the Father and the Spirit have put together from eternity past. He knows that will please his Father and be the absolute best thing. So he says, your approval isn't what this is about. What I've said before hasn't changed. And by the way, even now, that, has, that hasn't changed. Jesus continues to be completely unified 
with the Father as this plan continues to work out in the lives of people, especially those of us who have put our faith in Him. And for those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Him, and we are one with them, therefore united with Him, we're right there with Him. And that ought to be our goal as well. It ought to be our goal to be doing what the Father wants, right? Doing it with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives according to His Word, right? And so so Jesus wants us to be changed so that our motivation, that our goals are just like His. Um, As Ephesians chapter 5 verse 10 talks about that our goal ought to be in improving what the will or what pleases the Lord. That, that's that's our, our what we're looking to do. Please the Lord. Is this this action I'm taking according to what I know from His Word, according to know what I what I know from walking with Him? Is this going to bring Him pleasure? Is this going to be working right alongside with what He's doing? Oh, okay. If it is, I, I want to do it. If not, I I want to back away from that. I want to correct my path. And I want to go a different way. Then he starts to get very personal. Jesus now becomes a witness, not for himself anymore, but against these men. And that's for their good. Verses 42 and 43. I know you. I know you. That you do not have the love of God in yourselves. And he's already told them that the Father's words back in verse 38, do not abide in them, or not at home in them. And he's also told them that they don't have eternal life in them from him. And now he says, you don't have the love of the Father in you. How does he know that? Well, he says, I know it. And the, and the Greek word used for know there, there's some distinctions, but it's to know experientially. Jesus has an experiential knowledge of these men. He's been interacting with them. He's been having these discussions back and forth, these conversations, if you want to call them, or debates. And his interactions have shown that what they're missing is a love for God. And of course, that's a violation of the first and greatest commandment, right? They want to go by the law. Jesus says what the law all hangs on that, con- that, that uh, commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And also on love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He says, on the first one, you don't have that love within yourselves. Your lives are so focused, self-focused, that desiring what is best for others, that's the idea of love, right? You want what is ultimately best for someone else. It's become absent from the way you do things. Remember their reaction when the great news walked into the temple? This man who had been without strength for 38 years? They didn't, they didn't want what was best for him. They wanted their, their interpretation of the law to be followed. They wanted their power, their control to be maintained. So Jesus is now being a witness against these men. The tables are turned around. He knows by watching them, by hearing them, as their hearts are, are laid out before him as they react to his ministry of love. The relationship with God is missing. They know the Old Testament scriptures in depth. 
but you don't love God and his love isn't flowing out of you. That's a natural thing that happens when you know God is that his, his love then flows out of you. He also knows it because verse first part of verse 43 says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If they love the Father, they would love his Son, right? He's, that, he's the perfect representative for God. He says, I come in my Father's name. In other words, he sent me, I come representing all that he is and with his characteristics. And he's, he's talked about this multiple times already, right? If he is the Son, he is coming in his name, and you reject him, that means you reject the Father. If you don't love him, it's because you don't have a love for the Father. There should be an overwhelming love for the Father if they really are spiritually what they claim to be. But it's even worse than that. As he continues on in verse 43, he says, If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So it's not just that they reject Jesus, but they're willing to, re to receive imposters, people who come not saying, not showing evidence that they come in the Father's name. Remember those, those witnesses that Jesus brought show that he came in the Father's name. Other people will say, I say, this is my word. He says, these are people who are looking for the approval of men like you are. And there's a familiarity with those who have those same values. And so you don't have that problem, do you? That you're kind of familiar with people who have the same values and, and faults and sins as you and you tend to give them a pass? He's saying, here's what you're, what you're, what you're up, up to and what you're going to do. You'll see people like you and you'll say, yeah, this person really should be accepted. Bring them on in, right? I mean, we like people. We like to give a pass to people who are where we would kind of like to be, right? Whose sin gets them what we think we would like to have. And it's interesting that this statement is also prophetic because in, in the roughly 40 years from this, the time of Jesus' death until the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, historians record dozens of would-be messiahs that rose up and gained some sort of following. People st stood up and said, I am the Messiah. I am the sent one. And there were people who said, yes, he's the one. For a time. By the way, there's a, there's a warning as well. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, the time of the end, that there's going to be many rising up in his name. So beware. Are we close to the end? Seeming more and more like it, isn't it? Watch out for ones who come in their own name rather than ones who point us to the true Messiah, Jesus. But as he goes on in verse 44, he asks them a question that's, that's a little bit frightening. How can you believe? Uh, literally, how can you have the ability to believe? So it's not just, you know, how can you make a choice, but I've seen evidence in you that shows that you may not even have the ability to believe. And you say, what? How is that? It's a strong statement among many of them. But he's really getting at their worship, isn't he? How can you believe when you receive glory 
from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Glory given has to do with worship, doesn't it? Honor given has to do with worship when it goes to the, to, to one who is greater. And God's assessment has to matter the most, doesn't it? And so humans, we tend our, our greatest worship. What is it? Self, isn't it? You seek glory from others. You, you are seeking worship. You want others to say good things about you. You want others to agree with you. You want others to lay praise and accolades on you, right? That's what he's saying about them. How can you believe in me when the focus of your life is getting other people to say good things about you? He says you've forfeited an ability to believe in what's true by worshiping yourself. And what we make ultimate in our desires, reprioritizes everything else. And Jesus is saying that their their self-worship has made entrusting themselves to him impossible because really they see themselves as more important and greater than him. And he's really saying you've short-circuited the path to belief, which will really give you life, which he's just talked about earlier in the section. And they've connected to a dead source. God's assessment of us has to come first. In other words, are, are you seeking on the honor that is from God, he says. He says you're not. The idea of glory and honor in this verse, honor, the honor men put on you, if sought out for and prioritized, really it's kind of like cutting the power cord. Now you've got, you've got some sort of appliance or whatever and you've got it plugged into the wall, it's running fine. But if, if your whole point is seeking the praise of others and not seeking to please God, it's like, you know, chop that cord off, attach it to a dead battery. You're doing nothing. You're going nowhere. You have no ability to move toward belief because you're attached to a dead source, a source that has no power. So you've got to, you've got to turn away from the worship of self if there's going to be any hope. And it has to be him working in you, right? It has to be him doing it by his power because you've been wrapped up in glorifying yourself. As we move ahead in in John to chapter 12, it's going to be a little while down the road, I know, but let's jump ahead to 42 and 43 of John chapter 12. Here's the... the, A situation where it kind of lays out what happens if you hold on to that attitude that he's talking about here. John 12, 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, many of the rulers, oh, same kind of people he's talking to back in chapter 5, right? Many of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Oh, what was, what was at the top of their Priority list. Oh, we want to be in the place of worship. We want to be accepted by a community. We don't want to lose our social standing. Why did they do that? For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Which should be a warning to us as well. These these people, it says in 
some to some degree believed. Whether that was saving faith, I, I, that we'll leave it on that until chapter twelve. But having said we believe in Jesus, they weren't willing to tell anyone because they really wanted people to approve them rather than for God to give them honor. And don't forget that at the end, it's the honor that comes from who? The only God. See, all all things are possible, but all the things that we can possibly put in the place of of the ultimate thing Short circuits, the power of the only God. Quit quit making a God of yourself, you say. Go to the only God. Eliminate that God that is you or anything else that you use to worship yourself. So often, everything else we worship ultimately comes back to because I deserve it, right? I want that because I deserve it. I, I serve that because it's for me, because I deserve it. Go to the only true God. And then he, he calls a witness. Jesus is born witness. Now he says, you may not accept my witness. You don't have respect for me. You consider me condemned. But let me call someone you respect highly in verses 45 through 47. He says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Now, Jesus has already told them all judgment's been given over to him, right? In essence, he doesn't need to be the prosecutor. He is going to one day judge these people on whether they believed in him or not. But even though that's the case, there's a, a witness that that ought to totally seal it for them. And, and knowing that this one witness is going to be against them, they should all be like horrified, right? He says, Moses, Moses is your prosecutor. Moser, Moses is your accuser, the one who will bring the argument against you. He says, the one, he's the one you've set your hope in. And you might remember back when, when the Israelites built the calf, right? And they all started worshiping the calf, saying, you're the God that brought us out of Egypt. Save us now. And after you know, God comes and, and, and there's a good bit of judgment, or, or actually as God is, is considering their, their situation, and for the sake of time, we aren't going to turn to Exodus 32, but, but there Moses intercedes for the people. Well, what they deserved was just to be wiped out as a people, right? And Moses puts himself there in between the deserved wrath of God and sinful people. Now, God knew what he was going to do. He was going to continue to carry out his plan. But in that process, Moses learns a lot about God's patience and how God is merciful and how God continues to come alongside sinful human beings. But Moses writings make it clear that he's not the one who is going to intercede for them. But they had a belief that Moses, even in heaven, continued to intercede for them, continued to step between them and the wrath of God when they deserved it. He says, you put your hope in Moses. 
He's going to actually witness against you. His writings, the things that you study so diligently, are going to witness against you, say that you are guilty. Moses isn't the intercessor you need. And he also says that they really didn't believe Moses. (laughs) Can you believe that? To tell the religious leaders, to tell the Pharisees, you don't really believe Moses and what he said. It's a strong statement, but it's connected to the truth in these verses that he says, he wrote about me. So how can you say you believe Moses when the focus of his writing, he's just getting down to their their base approach to the scripture, which was an error. They studied it and said, oh, well, if if you know the scriptures, you have eternal life. He's already he's already dealt with that claim in the last part of this section. But what it really told them was they, if they really listened, if they paid attention that in fact they were under judgment, that there was a curse on them if they didn't keep all of these things that are in the law, and that they desperately needed a Savior. You see, he's saying, belief in me is actually a result of believing in Moses. If you believed Moses, if you read what he said, if you sought to understand his message, you would definitely believe in me. The two go together. You can't separate them. Just like he's he's told them, you can't say, I believe in God and reject me. The two don't work. Can you say, I believe the messenger of God and reject the one that the message was about? No, it means you rejected the message that God sent through Moses as well. And Moses' whole thrust was pointing us toward a Savior, to the Messiah. Now, all the details of things Moses wrote, you don't find Jesus in all the little details. Be careful. Some people try to insert, spiritualize, mundane in information in, in Moses' writing. Oh, yeah, well, that's about, that's about Jesus. That, that's the thrust. It's the overall, where is it taking you? What is the conclusion of it? And they thought they were followers of Moses. As we get ahead into chapter 9, Jesus is going to heal a man who was born blind. And, the, and, the, and these religious leaders are going to come after him. And they're going to ask him questions. And they're going to try to get him to, to say that Jesus is a sinner. And in, in 9, 9.28, he, you know, he's, they've kind of pushed him. And I said, I already told you. Do you want to become his disciples too? And listen to their response in 9.28. They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. What Jesus is getting at back here in chapter 5 is that's impossible. If you're a disciple of Moses, you would immediately, enthusiastically become a disciple of mine. You would follow me. It's like when Jesus talked about the rich man and Lazarus in in Luke chapter 16. Let's just turn over there quickly. Luke 16, uh, verses 27 through 31. Uh, Here's a man who has basically gone uh, gone to to hell, you could say, or Hades. And he's in in torment. And he's speaking to Abraham, who is in a place of, of... of God's blessing. And he says, I beg you, Father, that you send him, 
speaking of, of, of Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Get that? The witness of Moses' writings should push them right to Jesus. And a person rising from the dead and coming and saying, oh, you need to listen to Jesus. If they rejected Moses, and what he did in pointing them to Jesus, they would also reject someone risen from the dead. It's interesting how our choices now can cut off future choices because it alters our way of thinking. It alters our, our worldview, our paradigm, you could say. When they were unwilling to really understand what Moses was talking about in the prophets in the Old Testament, they set themselves up to not believe Jesus. In fact, when Jesus wants to confirm for his disciples their belief in him after the resurrection, you remember on the road to Emmaus? What did he do? He went back through all of the scriptures and showed them the things about himself. He said, look at the witness has been here all along. Believe in what was you, you were being pointed to. Move ahead. And, and a large part of that was written by who? Moses. And of course, if you want something, just, just one thing, really clear from, from Moses. Go back to Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. You can memorize this. It'd be a great one to, to remember how clearly the Old Testament and specifically through Moses, God revealed that Jesus was coming and the kind of responsibility that each person has toward him. So Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. Let's back up to verse 17 just so we make sure we see the source. The Lord, or Yahweh, said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, speaking of the Israelites, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Catch the seriousness of that? God is going to send one someone who is like Moses in a lot of ways. But this one will have God's words in his mouth. Well, Jesus said, I, I just speak the things that the Father gives me to speak, right? And God says, you don't listen to him. You don't obey him. You have me to answer to. That's how serious it is. And Jesus is laying this out for these leaders saying, understand this is so Incredibly important. And so through this section, we've, we've spent a number of weeks on, Jesus strongly confirmed their belief that he is claiming to be equal with God. They got it right in verse 18, but their action was wrong. Rather than trying to kill him, they should have been believing in him. And then he's given them even more reasons to believe. 
and therefore change their lives by coming to him that they may have life. And so today, if you're someone who believes in Jesus already, be greatly encouraged by this section. Deepen your understanding of the one you, you believe in through his words here. Come back to this passage again and again in, in John chapter 5. Say, who is Jesus? Oh, look at what he said about himself. Look at those who witness about him. Look at how critically important it is that I and everyone else totally give ourselves to him. And yet, if you're here today and, and you haven't become someone who believes in Jesus, if you haven't said, I need your gift of forgiveness, consider carefully how great an error that is. God says you will have to answer directly to him for not believing in his son. You may, and not only that, you may be wasting your life on trying to get people to approve of you. Wasting your life on other worthless efforts. I just urge you right now, entrust yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so thankful that you have given us the words of Jesus here about himself that we can believe. Lord, help us to repent of of seeking instead the favor of people and, and people saying good things about us, people uh, showing us that they think we're something, or, or help us to stop being angry because people don't give us the kind of approval we, we look for. Help us to, to simply dwell at Jesus' feet and, and relish your love that you've shown us through him. Um, as we celebrate his birth this month, Lord, please just bring this truth back again and again for us to, to, to marvel in. We ask this, we praise you in Jesus' name.